This place used to be off limits, man, because some drunk freshman fell off. He went right down the middle, smacking his head on every beam, man. I hear it doesn't hurt after the first couple, though. Autopsy said he had one beer, man. How many do you have? Four. You're dead, man. You're so dead. You're listening to the DCBeer.com podcast. Hello there. Welcome back into another episode of the DC Beer Podcast. I am joined, as always, with Bill DeBon. Hey, hey. Good to see y'all. And the inimitable John Flory. And I'm your host, Aaron Morrissey. Today, we are going to talk about beer travel. Uh, The three of us travel quite a bit. Sometimes together. Sometimes not. (laughs) Sometimes we share hotel rooms. Sometimes we cuddle. All the time we cuddle. Friends listen to Endless Love in the Dark. That's what DC Beer's about. Drinking and cuddling. And whatever else may happen. So usually we uh, drink a beer on the program, uh, which we are drinking beer today, but actually to kind of just lubricate our travel conversation, we've decided to go with an old standby the old Overholt, drink of the industry masses. Absolutely. As it should be. I, I think that's pretty accurate. Cheap, delicious, flavorful. Rye. Rye. Uh, that's the most important criteria for Plastic me. Plastic screw top cap. Easy to open. Easy to open. Easy to access. What's retail on it? What, 10 bucks? I yeah. think if you're paying more than $10, you need to find a better yeah. liquor store. Industry standard family shop. At least for the past, you know, couple of years. Yeah, and actually, interestingly enough, I think it's starting to really grow in prominence despite the fact it has rye in it. Yep. I think rye has that predisposition thing that people don't like. Sure. Um, or they're not sure what it is, you know. People not liking something they don't understand. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It's like we're in America or something. Crazy talk. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about beer travel because uh, obviously they have rye whiskey in many places yeah. in America. Um, but not every place. There are still some sad places in America. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. Well, Bill, your travails with Scotch are well documented, <laughs> which, we'll, which we might get into later. <laughs> which we're going to get into. But so, so we got a question today from someone on the Face Space, asking you know that they've traveled a fair bit around Europe and they're actually wondering why we pay so much more to drink good beer in the U.S. Uh, than they do in places like Brussels, Madrid, and Amsterdam. And I think my answer to that is we don't. And the actual example of that is a place that we were all in very recently, uh, Austin, Texas. Great town. Wonderful town. Tacos, barbecue, beer, whiskey. Just repeat that for a few days until you explode. Yep. Bill, what did you think about Austin? I think I didn't really want to come back. I thought it it would just be easier to send for Kate and... Have her come down to Texas and get a giant belt buckle and a bottle of uh, of Lone Star. The lovely Kate, who, yeah. if you're listening, we love you. She's no, it was great. I mean, you know, when when uh, when we were there, uh, you know, East Sixth Street is kind of the 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 18th Street or the 8th Street of, of Austin. Yeah, but it didn't make me feel bad about myself the way that drinking on 18th Street sometimes can can do. You know, it uh, it also when we were there, we were there on a weekend, it was never really all that crowded. Well, yeah, I think we should, you know, kind of qualify. I, I think, 
you know, we all love drinking in DC, um, and Sometimes. we do it. Well, we do it pretty frequently. So if we're creatures of habit, then we're creatures of love. Sometimes creatures of hate, <laughs> or just habit. But I think you know one thing we want to talk about is how scenes, beer scenes, or otherwise, uh, actually compare to the scene in DC. John, what did you think comparatively about Austin to DC? Uh, first off. Austin, had, I thought, had a great beer scene. Everyone was proud of their local beers. Obviously, I'm a little skewed, a little biased. I definitely went to a majority of bars that had a good selection of beer. Having said that, I definitely thought that the DC scene is stronger, not only in places carrying local, including, like, you know, like big groups like Clyde's and things like that. Perfect example, like my hotel bar, like, no local beer whatsoever, mm. you know, things, things like that. And also, DC has the luxury of having such great worldwide beer. Texas was great. Austin was great, as far as beer is concerned. But it was pretty heavy in Texas beer. Mm-hmm. While that's good, a lot of the beer kind of overlapped, ran into each other. And not saying that the beers were bad, but a lot of times I couldn't tell them, like, Wait, was this, you know, Brewery X's pale or Brewery Y's pale? Mm-hmm. You know, Brewery X's stout or Brewery Y's stout? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting because unlike the places that we usually drink in D.C., the places that we went to that were craft-focused in Austin, generally the de rigueur thing to drink was, you know, Lone Star or Shiner, which, you know, I, I nothing against those, uh, or Bud or... Coors, Stubbies, which yep. I... A lot of banquet beer. High life with a strawberry which, which, I, which I'm okay with that. Which I drank a lot of banquet yep. beer, and I drank a lot of high life. But I, I, I mean, I think I agree with that. I think I, I think there's like a, this um, kind of approach there is a little bit different than D.C. in terms of the beer drinking. I was at Sally's on U Street. If you haven't been to Sally's, definitely stop in there. Definitely go. Uh, Just not when John and I are there. Yeah. Um, Get out. And Colin Johnson, who's a fantastic bartender, you should say hi to him if, if he's there, made a really good point. He grew up in Texas, and I was talking to him about craft beer in Austin. And he said, you know, one of the reasons that I don't think craft will ever really take hold in the South is that when you can get a tall boy of Lone Star or High Life... For two twenty-five or two fifty, mm-hmm. why would you pay six dollars for twelve ounces of something craft? Right? I mean, if the end res- cynically, if the end result five beers later is that you're going to get drunk, for a lot of people, the value proposition is I'd rather have the fifteen dollars back in my pocket. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's interesting because we made it a point when we were at Bangers on Rainy to actually ask our server uh, after several flights of beer, you know, what people drank for industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was talking about the hops and grain uh, Zoe, which is this really just drinkable great pale beer. ale. Great beer. A fantastic beer that we purchased uh, immediately. You know, if you look around D.C., industry folks are drinking bow and a shot of overhold. Yep. I kind of struggle to like see the difference almost in a little bit, right? Because it's like people there that drink a lot are drinking cheap-ish beer, right? That is pretty standard style-wise, and mm. it's just really something that they can drink the hell out of. And here we're just drinking the same thing. That's something that you can just drink and not have to think about too much. I think for a lot of us, there's two modes of drinking. 
you know, there's some days you want to go out and try something new, you know, expand your horizons, all that. And then there's sometimes, like, the creature comfort of just having a nice, easy drinking beer and a shot of whiskey. And these things often don't run together. And so I think what you're saying is very similar in that sense of many of the people in industry in Austin just going to that, and why would you go elsewhere? One thing that I, that venue-wise, moving, moving away from the beer part of Austin, venue-wise, nearly all of the venues that, that we were in were very large. It's kind of like Jurassic Park, right? Where you see the fences for the T-Rex paddock. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, those fences have to be really big because the T-Rex is huge, right? It's like these bars have to be massive because at some point they're going to get filled. I was, I felt very grateful while we were there that we were not overtaken by crowds of people. Yeah, we should, we should clarify. Bill and I were in Austin the weekend before South by Southwest. But having said that, I was in Austin two weeks before you guys, and Bangers was... Nuts to butts. Like, yeah. you couldn't walk in. Like, they had a band playing, every seat, and, you know, this huge European-style, you know, uh, community seating. And there wasn't anything. It was standing room only. And that was... I talked to the, uh, the bouncer there, and he was like, yeah, that's pretty typical for a Saturday night. I mean, I will say I, I saw a lot of similarities on 6th Street in Austin that I did with 18th Street in D.C., where there are, on a weekday... Or a slow weekend, um, there are a lot of places that are operating at like minimum possible capacity. So just like just like in DC, you know, it's about, it's about the volume of the overall week and then and, and then your sales for the month, things like that. So much like on 18th Street, you can go to a bar on a Monday or a Tuesday and it's pretty slow, and that's okay because you're picking up your numbers elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, absolutely, because they were talking about how. Every single bartender in town was doing, you know, getting ready for 12 days of, of doubles. And it was like, well, we don't really have to worry about it tonight because we're going to make boffo money over the next three weeks. So who cares if we're empty? And at, at that point, I actually told Bill, I was like, half of these bars on 6th Street survive solely on South By. And, and you know, Austin City Limits and the other music festivals that happen, like, they're in business for what amounts to three months a year and they've turned good enough margins during those times just ride it out the rest well, of the time well just yeah. just like I'm sure a lot of a lot of the bars that are near like the mall downtown ride on that tourist because you know we're, we're the normal beer drinker the normal the normal person who goes out in DC isn't going out to Elephant Castle, sure. which is you know right near the, the post office building or whatever. Right. Know? But they also have, the, and then of course the places in Austin have also have the odd added benefit of having much lower overhead, even for a large space. True. Sure. I mean that's why you can afford to pay as many of the bars on East Six do, for there to be a hawker out front going, "Hey, dollar beers, dollar drinks, dollar drinks, dollar beers, dollar beers." Like every, like the you walk down the strip and it's unbelievable. Like yeah. everyone. It's like, can I get a 50-cent drink? And I'm sure they would say yes, just to get you, just get a warm body in the bar. I mean, I was uh, amazed at the pricing there, just on a, um, you know, if we're talking about the kind of standardized bars. I believe we went into a certain establishment, which will probably remain nameless, and asked for a Budweiser long neck, and I'll let Bill tell his part of the story later about what beverage he drank. It ended up being a spirit of certain sorts, and that uh, was, I believe, $4.50. Which was great, um, but Bill left 
slightly disappointed. I'm sure. I'm sure but do you, but do you think that that price is correlated to cost of living? Well, actually, I was just reading this interesting study about how Austin has grown more in population than any other metropolitan area. Oh, I'm sure. In the last, I don't know where to put uh, all these 20, people. Yeah, and it's it's. But that does, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that the cost of living has significantly increased. Yeah, that's right. If they if they have the room, yeah. You know, people always complain about you know the price in this city of how much it costs to drink, and there's a lot of people who never complain about like San Francisco. I'm like, you know, it's pretty much just as expensive. Do you guys ever drink in New York or Boston or try, never? I try, I try not to. Never, actually. Yeah, no. I I, 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 was, I was talking to them. Not oh, to well, no, I honestly try not to. We'll th- we'll talk about Boston sometime. <laughs> Big wolf, want to fight about it? <laughs> so yeah, Bill. You're you had a really good time on Rainy, if I recall. You did have a good time a on Rainy. So Rainy Street is actually just a, a a fascinating kind of little area in Austin. From what I heard after you left, right, this one woman um, back in the day, and I'm not really sure like how far back the day goes, bought all of these houses on this residential street. And it's probably three or four blocks. It's I mean, about it's not, three blocks. It's not it's not super substantial. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably honestly where Jack Rose is, like 18th and U, 18th and Florida, to like Calorama. Maybe not even. So it, it's like half of the 18th Street strip, maybe a third of it. Anyway, you walk down Rainy Street, and there are all these houses that are just normal looking houses that have been converted to these little like bungalow bars with beer gardens and everything else out back. Um, really great. I mean, it's, an, it's a really cool atmosphere, and the bars that we went to there were fantastic. But it, you you also have the construction of the high rises going on behind these houses, so it's you it's, see, it's you see the incoming. Yeah, you, you can yeah. you can kind of see where Rainy's gonna go. I mean, it, it's not 14th Street, but I definitely see a lot of parallels there in terms of the what they're offering to their patrons. Well, you have half um, the street that's very bro, and then as you walk farther down, Rainy gets very craft oriented. You know, you get to bangers. You get to craft pride, pride yeah. you know, black heart, the black heart, and then like further down, you get like you know some of the pizza shops that are actually like craft oriented. Place where Aaron got his donuts, which just totally changed his life. And and so like, but on the other side, the very bro side, that's where all the high rises are going up, and you can you can see it's that oncoming storm like we saw a few years ago at 14th Street. Mm-hmm. You knew it was coming, and now it's here, mm-hmm. and now. I tend to actively avoid that area. I, I was fascinated with actually with Craft Ride's kind of setup. Oh, yeah. on off premise kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. kind of a middle Pur- ground kind of thing. That you know you would never ever see in the district just because of a myriad of reasons, regulatory, just no one like the weather, you know, not being well. That's one in of the south, but that's one of the things in Austin. Every place had a patio, yeah, because of the weather. You know, right. people bitch and moan about why isn't there more beer gardens in DC. I'm like, well, it's not economically feasible yeah. for someone to. Allocate this space, which is so expensive per square foot in this city, they can only use for half the year. Mm-hmm. But in Austin, you can use it year round pretty much. Uh, I mean, yeah. when I was down there, it was 30 degrees. People were like losing their minds, right. didn't even know where to get a winter jacket, but you still have all this patio yeah, space. Everyone still drank outside. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I was really interested in their um, kind of setup and uh, the fact that they did the kind of off-premise, you could you could buy six packs of local beer to take away, 
but all the other bottles were for on-premise consumption. Like all the, all the either <clears throat> single 12-ounce bottles, all the way up to 750, so you could buy right there and drink right there. So you could buy like 12-ounce cans there? <clears throat> like singles? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So something that I that we saw at Craft Pride that was fascinating in terms of like bar culture was that when we got there, people were lined up to order at the bar. Like there was all this bar space and there was a line that went from the bar probably about 100 feet back to the door where people were, were single file queued up just to get to a bartender. And I didn't see that. I was there on a Saturday night and there was a lot of people crowding the, you know, if you've never been there, it's the main bar area, all the drafts, and their list is above in chalk so everyone yeah. can see it. Yeah. And there was just people kind of hanging out looking and for me, I just walked up in front of them because no one, you know, there's that five feet space that like mm-hmm. no one's stepping up to the bar to order. I just walked up and had the bartender, hey, yeah. what do you drink? And then I moved in and people were still looking and like I had a seat before people even picked their beer. Mm-hmm. It was, it was <clears throat> and obviously what we saw was maybe an anomaly, but it like it was like I walked in like imagine going to church key right and there being a line down the stairs and Erod just standing basically at the top like the center of the bar being like expediting being like all right I need a prima pills here I need a Schlafly Kolsch here I need da 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 it just so you you guys know that you can you can disperse a little bit it's, it's okay I went immediately to the bottle <laughs> shop well what I thought was a, <laughs> what I thought was a common thread between our two very different situations was everyone was very cordial. You know, I walked through and I was like, "Uh, you guys ordering, you know, just make sure like who in D.C. starts a line because they should Mm -hmm. versus because they have to, Mm -hmm. you know, and I hate doing that like North versus South thing. But like Mm. to me, that like speaks volumes, you know, and and even like when I went up for a beer again, the person in front of me was like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. You know, like Mm. no one would do that in D.C., you know. So I think the lesson uh, is Texas people in Austin are great. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite beer you had? Or favorite... Let's open it up since we started... Favorite with, beer? Oh, favorite since, bar? No, no. Since we, since we started drinking Oberol, let's open it up. <laughs> what was your favorite drink you had in Austin? I liked the East Cider. I was going to say that too. Yeah. Did you have the Dry Cider? Yeah, Dry. Yeah. I had that during with my barbecue and it was outstanding. Yep, I was. I went to Sidebar, which is. Um, I'm not gonna say it's a dive. It's definitely more of like an industry dark. You know, I walked in and Pantera and Crowbar were playing. You know, <laughs> some dude tried to exchange me food stamps for cigarettes. You know, it was. Uh, def- it was definitely a situation like that. But then the patio, huge, beautiful, empty, yeah. and the east side was fantastic. Nice and dry, easy drinking, great carbonation. And it was that nice middle ground between a very vinous cider and a little bit of sweetness in the back. I thought it went great with, uh, especially the beef ribs. Uh, It was great just pairing there. Because there were too many of. Which we ate a lot of while we were there. Bill, what's your favorite drink? I have to really, I have to go with the Zoe. Uh, the one they call Zoe or Zoe or whatever Zoe, how, whatever but, the hell you're gonna call it. Well, it didn't require bitters, so you were. It did not require bitters. No, I. I mean, if we're talking about favorite beer, that would be it. I mean, it's something like, it's like a toned down version of Blue Jacket's Forbidden Planet. The hops are a little bit, a little bit not as mm-hmm. as assertive. Yeah. Or it's like a fruitier version of Great Rap Brewing Company Southern Draw, which mm-hmm. if you haven't had this on the podcast, you should have it. Hi, Andy. Um, but hi, Andy. It's good to see you. Hi, Andy. Um, <laughs> My favorite drink, though, was probably at Blackheart, 
they had they made this drink with it was like lime juice, coconut milk, and mezcal. It was just really tremendous. It was like the house favorite at, at Blackheart. Mm. There's not enough coconut milk mezcal combinations going on in cocktail seasons. Yeah. Also worth mentioning um, the Lux Monday, which was from Save the World. It was the mm. first beer I ordered at Craft Pride, which is actually the first beer I ordered in Austin, mm-hmm. and it was actually a Patters beer. So, so oh. all downhill from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was it was the one thing that you know while I'm looking at the menu, it kind of stuck out. I'm like, really, mm-hmm. Texas Patters beer? What are yours? Well, the East Siders for sure, and I also enjoyed plenty of Zoe. I thought that the um, Austin beer, or Schwartz beer, was really good. Um, Black Thunder. Oh, very tasty. Oh yes, yes. I drank quite a bit of that in the out of the hotel sink that we filled with ice. Uh, generally speaking, I drank a lot of High Life in Austin because I felt like it was just you know de rigueur and a good value, uh, very good value. Uh, which you know, good luck finding a dollar fifty High Life in DC. The uh, uh, much as I love this town, the draft margarita at Chupacabra was delicious. <laughs> uh, guilty pleasure of sake bombs at Jack. Ah, uh, sake bombs. Yep. Oh God. Can we can we get a shout out to Casino El Camino here though, and yes. tell, and talk about the the presentation of your high life because I feel like that <laughs> that was definitely a memorable experience for us. Yeah. Now they take the phrase champagne of beers very seriously in Austin, uh, so I was served my high life out of a long neck into a champagne flute on a doily with a strawberry on a stick included, and they actually kept. I kept ordering high lifes and they kept pouring them into the flute, and I had to instruct them to actually please stop. I'm kind of disappointed. I didn't order any high life there. I, I, was, I mean, you I, missed out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that you know, when I was there uh, at that point of the night, it was just ordering a lot of old whole roll. So. I, I do have a beer Perfect disappointment. I, I don't. I don't want this to disappointment. I do have a beer disappointment from All right. Austin. All right. You know, when I tell beer folks, when I told beer folks I was going to Austin, they were like, "Oh, you're going to Jester King, right?" I would have liked to go to Jester King. Jester King is actually a, a pretty fair distance out of city center. It's, it's probably about 17 miles out, out right? Mm-hmm. Um, so unless you have a car, it's it's kind of hard to get out there. And then if you're going to actually enjoy Jester King, it's hard to get back. But we hardly saw them on beer lists. I mean, bottle lists or draft lists. And I went to the Whole Foods in Austin, which has a very impressive beer selection. And there was one Jester King there. So it, I, I mean, it could have Jester King, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're making as much beer as they possibly can, but I really expected to see more of a presence there than I actually did. I, I didn't see Le Petit Prince anywhere. Yeah, I actually didn't see Jester the King. The entire once. time. Oh. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't hit like three bars. I mean, we got around. Hard question. Austin, D.C., better drinking town? Oh, I prefer to drink in Austin. Uh, my wallet prefers to drink in Austin, but I think overall, just the selection in DC, it's it's hard to beat any in any city in the U.S. I don't know if you're if you're getting into craft, if you if you're trying to get into the craft scene, it's going to be much harder to do it in Austin, because if you look at the bars on East Sixth and like on Rainy, I can't imagine them doing a lot of beer events the way we have them in D.C. And surely there are, other, there are certainly other neighborhoods in Austin, Texas than the ones that we visited. Absolutely. But in terms of nightlife and bar concentration, that's the highlight, right? But now that I am not seeking out Hop Slam left and right whenever I can, if I can just find like a bar where I really enjoy drinking and the staff are cool and the people who hang out there are cool and the food is tasty, 
and I can get 225 high life. Yeah, at this point in my life, I'd probably prefer a drink in Austin. Well, I mean, it, it says something that we all went to Jackalope multiple times. Yeah. You know, not certainly not the best list in, in the city, mm-hmm. but it had a comfort level that we all appreciated. A selection that, like, ran to very good to just your generic banquet beers or high life. You know, and solid food. Gotta say, tacos... Million times better. Oh yeah, but I'm still taking DC for wow. drinking. All right, yep. food Austin all the way, hundred percent. Yep, drinking. I'll be I'll be the guy that gets all the love and sticks with DC. Agreed. All right, well that was a really good podcast. Everybody excited about going back to Austin soon. I hope all of you get to go to Austin and eat tacos, barbecue, beer, and whiskey repeatedly um, if you're going to Austin incidentally and you need recommendations you can feel free to email us at editor at dcbeer.com we'll send you a list I think that's fair to say we could make Absolutely. a list yes. yes we'll send you a list of all the places we talked about today and more um, that's uh, editor at dcbeer.com but thanks for listening and we'll be back with another episode of this podcast soon thanks John no problem thanks Cheers. Bill thanks for listening see you guys later <laughs>